When I shoot my shot, it's the whole vibe where it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a bus. I hit that Janobi with my left hand all like, woo. Bitch, you were with me shooting in the gym. James Harden with the range of me, nigga, way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I traveled with a cocaine search. And you can live through anything if magic made it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, now you do. What up, my fellow NBA lovers? This is your guy, Marcellus Ease. And what a hell of an NBA offseason it's been so far. We got the Bucks kind of halfway stepping with Giannis. They got one foot in, one foot out as far as commitment. I mean, exactly how committed are they to keeping a generational talent like Giannis? I mean, we're hearing teams willing to go over the cap and actually go after other max guys. And unfortunately for the Bucks, their trade with Bogdan kind of got messed up. And now they just got Drew Holiday. So what position are they in? And I'm also going to touch base on the Pelicans and OKC stockpiling on draft picks. Now, I understand that OKC is doing it. They have reasons to rebuild, especially looking forward to next year's 2021 NBA draft that's supposed to have a lot of good prospects but why are the Pelicans so much stockpiling on draft picks I don't understand that they already have their guy in Zion they just re-signed Brandon Ingram to an extension they kind of have some pieces in place let's start packaging some of these picks and start going after other more established guys to put around Zion and I'm also going to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves what's going on over there are they in love with the Andrew Wiggins archetype? Because it doesn't make sense that they're re-signing guys and drafting guys in the same position. So we'll touch base on what's going on with the T-Wolves. And speaking of making big moves, Michael Jordan and the Charlotte Bobcats were able to land Gordon Hayward as they always have to pay big bucks to get players to come down there. So we'll also talk about how they're setting up their team to either make the playoffs or actually compete and go deep into the playoffs, perhaps on a championship run. So it's just the beginning of them crafting a team around their new draft pick in LaMelo Ball. Or could the Charlotte Bobcats could just be making a Nicholas Batum 2.0 mistake in signing Haywood, and it could possibly put them in salary cap purgatory for a good minute. And speaking of purgatory, a team that we never expected to be there, the Golden State Warriors, with a lot of injuries and a lot of untimely events happening to this team on and off the court, especially financially. We'll take a look to see if this dynasty is still going to last going forward. And finally, I'm going to touch base on the hometown Supermax contract issues as this offseason we're seeing it play out for the first time where guys like James Harden, John Wall, Russell Westbrook are all asking to be traded and it's very hard to move these contracts. And the new Supermax is not working out the way the owners intended it to because they wanted to originally keep players in the same franchise in which they were drafted in. But before I get to all that, I want you guys to check out my weekly gems. I know you guys have a lot of different interests and hobbies. We got motivational books, things on fashion, cooking, music playlists that are updated weekly. You guys can check it out in the description below. And also, if you're not getting notifications on new episode drops, you can sign up for my email notification. Now, the Milwaukee Bucks are in a very unique position this offseason because they have to start making moves and to position themselves to make a nice pitch to Giannis to show how committed they are into this once-in-a-generational talent. Now I relate the Milwaukee Bucks to the early 90s Orlando Magic 
in which they had a generational talent in Shaquille O'Neal, but the ownership, because they were new to the NBA, they weren't used to being in the big stage. And I kind of see the same thing playing out here with Milwaukee because the ownership in Orlando, when they had to make an extension towards Shaq, they didn't make the right pitch. And they kind of halfway stepped to Shaq as far as the money. And Shaq quickly accepted another offer because another ownership realized how valuable he was in which was Jerry West out in Los Angeles. And just seeing the moves the Bucks made this offseason, it just showed a lot of commitment, but not towards the financial side, more in the possibility side because they gave up a bunch of draft picks for Drew Holiday, but financially, they never really committed towards anything. Draft picks are just a bunch of what ifs. And with guys like Russell Westbrook that was being thrown out there in the marketplace, and especially James Harden, before they even sealed the deal on that trade, all these guys were made available. Teams were kind of mixed in the rumor mill, but you never heard of the Bucks actually going after big name guys and possibly making a huge financial commitment towards Giannis before he even signs the extension. See, the best way the Bucks can show how committed they are to Giannis is by spending money, not by spending draft picks, which in reality, when you have a generational talent, it doesn't really cost you anything to send draft picks away. Even if the Bucks weren't interested in Westbrook or Harden, they should just threw their names out there, even if it wasn't serious, just to show that they're willing to go over the cap and spend money on these guys. I know James Harden and Giannis kind of have a riff, but anyway, they should just do their names out there just to show how committed they are because we're watching other franchises like the Raptors even structured their new signings like Fred Van Vliet's new contract in which in 2021, he actually makes less money so they can have room to sign a max guy like Giannis. Same thing down in Miami, watching Pat Riley delay Bam's contract extension in order to make room to go after Giannis. So these teams are showing major commitments. Same thing for the Dallas Mavericks. They're holding off into signing mid-level free agents in order to save space so they can sign a max guy. So these teams are very committed, especially with the trade not going through with Bogdan. And now what is Milwaukee exactly looking at? They just got Drew Holiday, who's only really on a one-year deal. And they got DJ Augustine and Bobby Portis to come off the bench to replace all the guys that they gave up in order to get Drew. This reminds me of LeBron's first stint in Cleveland in which they couldn't find him a second star. So they kind of surrounded him by B-level guys like Larry Hughes. He averaged 20 points a game in Washington. Then all of a sudden they brought him over to Cleveland and he was supposed to be the person next to LeBron. Same thing for Antoine Jameson. These guys are always hovering around 18 points per game and 20 points per game on teams that were kind of subpar. Maybe Antoine Jameson, he played for a much better Dallas Mavericks team, but either way, these guys weren't really the pieces that LeBron can count on as a second star in major crucial situations in the playoffs. So we're watching it play out sort of in a similar way in Milwaukee in which the Larry Hughes is now AKA Drew Holiday, a guy who can just average decent stats on a very bad team that was never really productive at all. So what are they really saying to Giannis? There was no financial investment this offseason. It was more future what ifs, AKA draft picks. You just gave up a bunch of what ifs. When other teams like the Brooklyn Nets are willing to spend money, perhaps even go after James Harden, and they even spent money on guys like Harris, three-point shooter for Brooklyn, they gave him four years, 75 million on top of everybody else that they signed. That's how committed they are to Kyrie and Kevin Durant. And I believe Giannis is looking for the same sort of commitment. So once again, what exactly do the Bucks have to tell Giannis on how they improved? They gave up a bunch of what if draft picks for Drew Holiday. There's no Wesley Matthews anymore. There's no George Hill. They replaced it with DJ Augustine and Bobby Portis. I mean, is this really the pitch you want to give to a generational talent like Giannis when there's other teams 
willing to take risk in order to maintain his services i just don't see it the bucks only have until the start of the season for Giannis to sign that super max extension or else he's just gonna hit next summer as a unrestricted free agent i just don't see Giannis signing this extension right away not after these offseason moves that botched tampering trade with sacramento it might be the nail in the coffin because that drew holiday trade it doesn't look as good without that sacramento trade going through speaking of trades what the hell is going on at okc they're acquiring nothing but draft picks they got 16 first round draft picks through 2027 and nine second round draft picks i mean have they not learned anything from the boston celtics in regards to having too many draft picks that shit does not work out eagles getting away okc of course they're very cheap they're not going to extend a lot of guys it'll be very interesting to see what they do with all these damn picks in next year's draft which is supposed to be a very heavy star-studded draft hopefully they can package some of these picks together to either move up or get other assets that they could put around younger guys but they're not the only ones that just acquiring all these draft picks the new orleans pelicans are kind of in a similar boat they're also rebuilding but they're kind of further along the okc is because they already have their megastar in zion and they have pieces like ingram in which they signed him to an extension but they have two first round picks in 2021 23 24 and 25 and they have four second round picks in the 2022 draft so hopefully around zion the pelicans don't waste any time and have that small market mentality where they're always trying to make smaller moves you have your cornerstone piece of your franchise in zion williams eventually even if it's next year package some of these picks start giving them away to surround this guy with what he needs of course the pelicans in the past six seven years especially in the anthony davis era they struggled to put real shooting guards around anthony davis and this is exactly what they need i know they drafted one guy during the draft who can shoot but if they want to make this push with zion especially early on putting him onto a more winning environment getting used to that instead of losing a bunch of games sort of the rabbit hole anthony davis fell into which is getting used to losing they should package around some of these picks and get more established guys so the pelicans can go ahead and make a move that Steven Adam move was a real good situation for the Pelicans because he is only 28. He still is in his prime. He's an enforcer down low. Zion doesn't have to risk getting hurt, banging bodies with bigger guys because Zion is only, I believe, 6'6". So they can move him more onto flex spots. And the Pelicans, they just need shooters, man. They just need shooters. And they have plenty of draft picks, especially those Laker draft picks in the first round. Just give some of them away. Stop all these small market mentality. Going back to what I said earlier on with the Orlando Magic and the way they handle Shaq. And hopefully the Pelicans don't fall into the same situation with Zion. You possibly have a generational talent in Zion. I mean, he's hyped up to be that. So they should start treating him that way and not put him into a losing situation early on and just use the Boston Celtics as a reference point on not to hoard a bunch of draft picks because we've seen how this plays out. First of all, a small market franchise like the Pelicans are not gonna want to extend all these rookies that were drafted, especially in the first round when their extensions come up. They can't afford to extend all these guys. So they're eventually gonna lose them for nothing. And second, once they start making small moves and signings to get more established guys on the team, egos will begin to clash especially with younger guys trying to make a name for themselves, trying to get their points, their rebounds, their stats versus more established mid-level to veteran players that are trying to get wins and understand the bigger picture of what it takes 
to have a successful season. Now I'm trying to figure out what kind of picture the Minnesota Timberwolves are trying to paint for their future as they seem pretty obsessive with drafting and having the same type of players. Now, of course, they had Andrew Wiggins, a small forward who could also probably play shooting guard, who just chucked up a bunch of shots, could average about 18 points a game, 20 points a game or 40% shooting. And he was nothing special on the defensive end. So this type of player does not work out well with Carl Anthony Towns. As we've seen in the past few years, this team hasn't been anything great. So why the hell would the Minnesota Timberwolves go out of their way this offseason to add players that basically fit the same mold? One in Anthony Edwards, the first overall draft pick. And two, which is hard to believe, that they gave Malik Beasley a four-year, $60 million extension even after the fact that they drafted Anthony Edwards first overall. And they already know that these type of players, their style does not fit well with Car Anthony Towns because they already had the example with Andrew Wiggins. I'm just trying to understand where are the shots going to come from when you have D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns on the floor at the same time. Who's going to make the sacrifice, especially at the wing position, in shot attempts or just team usage? I mean, you got D'Angelo Russell that's on a mega contract. You just drafted a guy first overall, and then you just signed a guy to a four-year, $60 million extension, and now you're going to have to approach one of these guys to tell them take it down a notch? I mean, why would this team even put themselves in this type of position? It doesn't even make any sense. But one of these guys are going to have to sacrifice. And to make things even more confusing at the wing position, they have Ricky Rubio on the bench and he's still in his prime. He's only 30 years old, making around $18 million a year. So there's definitely going to be even more politicking with Ricky Rubio's situation because the T-Wolves gave up the 17th overall draft pick this year in order to get Ricky Rubio. And he's still making a good amount of money coming off the bench. And one can argue he's more of a point guard than D'Angelo Russell is. So with having him on the floor, it actually might be a lot better off for Malik Beasley and Anthony Edwards. But then again, D'Angelo Russell is on that mega contract. See, this is where things are going to get tricky. I'm telling you, this offseason is the first time for a lot of things. I mean, the T-Wolves off rip had no business even picking first overall in the draft, especially with the plays that they already had. But we'll see how it plays out. Surprisingly, the Hornets actually landed someone in free agency. Of course, Michael Jordan had to overpay Gordon Haywood to get him on the team. But apparently he was after him since the last time Gordon Haywood was available before he went to Boston. But because of Haywood's injury situation, I'm wondering if the Bobcats are going to set themselves up for a Nick Batum 2.0 situation in which they went after him and gave him at the time a max deal and it backfired on them. And they were pretty upset that he remained in the deal. And the same scenario could play out here with Hayward. But for Jordan, it was kind of worth it because at the end of the day, who else was he going to spend the cap on? And at the same time, especially with him drafting LaMelo Ball, at least you could have a nice mid-level vet to put around LaMelo. But the only thing is that I don't know if this move was good enough to take the Bobcats out of that sort of twilight zone that they were in where they weren't good enough to make the playoffs, but they weren't bad enough to earn a high enough draft pick. And with the addition of Hayward, I'm still 50-50 on where they're at. Because if he gets hurt, they could be right at the bottom and picking early next year. But if he plays well, they should be around that middle pack area once again. And I'm wondering when Jordan's going to start taking chances, pulling trades, sort of like what the Raptors did in order to get guys over there, in order to get the Hornets more competitive 
in the NBA landscape because the whole drafting a player and signing free agents hasn't really worked out well since Jordan has arrived in Charlotte. They definitely got to take chances in the trades. They got to make guys want to walk away from signing extensions. That's one of the few cards on the deck that the Hornets could pull out and leverage against players in order to lure them into Charlotte. Now in the Western Conference, the Lakers, they're getting ready for Jokic. Jokic is going to change that whole conference, I'm telling you. The way he played last year in the playoffs, especially against the Clippers, just basically becoming some sort of center point guard, he's going to kill a lot of these small ball teams. This guy can shoot threes. He can create off the dribble, especially off that pick and roll. And the Lakers, especially with the acquisition of Gasol and Harold, especially Gasol, I would say, they're getting ready for Jokic. And the Clippers, on the other hand, I don't know what they're doing to resolve their point guard issues. They still haven't gone after a guy. They gave Marcus Morris a ton of money, but still they have an issue with guys creating shots. I mean, you can't have Paul George and Kawhi trying to create off the dribble because they're not point guards. That's not their position. They don't have that point forward ability that LeBron has, especially when they're down in games to come back. They're relying on too much ISO and to rely on Lou Williams coming off the bench to create that's just not what he does. But the Clippers still have to figure out that point guard issue. I'm surprised they weren't pushing harder for CP3 or even pushing for Kyle Lowry out in Toronto. But one issue they did resolve, I would rate it a notch down from the Lakers getting Gasol, is them getting Serge Ibaka. Because once again, he could actually put up a fight against Jokic, probably be a bit physical with Jokic, throw him off a bit. But Jokic is going to change that whole conference. I mean, if you guys just go back, and look at some of that bubble footage of just seeing how Jokic was just looking guys off and just finding the open shooter. It is insane. And to be a threat from three? Oh man, that's, that's spelling trouble right there. Jokic's play in the bubble definitely put these teams on notice. And you could tell from their offseason moves, they're definitely paying attention. Now moving on to the Golden State Warriors, you know, everything with that franchise has come down to great timing, especially on their rise to being that the dynasty that they were these past couple of years. And now they're beginning to fall and everything is coming down to the same thing, the timing of certain events. Now on their rise, they had the perfect timing with Stephen Curry signing him early to that four year, $44 million deal. That freed up cap space for them to sign Andre Iguodala. Then they were lucky to get Steve Kerr because of the Knicks fumble on not giving him that five year deal. So they were able to hire him as the head coach. He started Draymond Green over David Lee, and that ended up working out. And due to the fact that the Warriors had drafted all their homegrown talent, they were able to land Kevin Durant, and then a year after sign Stephen Curry to a max extension while maintaining Durant. So all these key things coming together at a perfect timing have allowed the Golden State Warriors to be the only franchise to give a player a super max deal and still construct a successful roster around that player to produce a championship. But every empire that rises, especially within the NBA, is gonna have a drop-off. And we're beginning to see signs of the Golden State Warriors drop-off because things are happening on the court and off the court that will begin to affect this organization and the way they move going forward. First, I'm gonna start off with things off the court, especially financially, because it will eventually trickle down and affect things that are happening to the Warriors on the court. Of course, we all know the Golden State Warriors got a new stadium. They spent a ton of money building that stadium in the ever expensive San Francisco area that's had a large real estate boom due to the tech bubble of Silicon Valley 
You guys already know how that goes. So you can imagine how much money they paid in order to get that stadium built. Now, very unfortunate for them in the first year operation in the new stadium, they couldn't host as many games as they were expecting because due to the pandemic, so they've taken financial hits on potential revenue that they lost. And this is after they've given extensions to Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, and Stephen Curry. Also at the same time, when their lease had ended in their previous stadium, they owed the city of Oakland $40 million because the city of Oakland in the late 90s had renovated their stadium and gave them a lease until 2027. And if they ended their lease early, they would owe the city of Oakland about $40 million. The new ownership of the Warriors are very slick. They're trying their best to get out of this. They're saying the deal was made with the previous owner and they also signed a two-year lease with the old arena and the lease just expired. They never canceled it. So they technically do not owe the money. So they're trying a very clever way to get out of that deal. But right now it looks like they're on the hook for about $40 million until they can appeal it and try to fight it off so they don't have to pay it. So fast forward to recently, Klay Thompson had went down with an Achilles injury and the Warriors quickly made a trade to obtain the services of Kelly Oubre and his salary is about $14 million a year. But because the Warriors are already into the luxury tax, they're going to have to pay $63 million on top of Oubre's salary. So you calculate the cost of a new stadium not being able to sell tickets, which is going to result in about $600 million loss for the Warriors. They already maxed out their key players. And now just to keep their team entertaining, they obtained the services of Kelly Oubre and they have to pay an extra $63 million on top. And then they still owe the city of Oakland $40 million for renovations on the old stadium. Now to alleviate some of this financial pressure, the Warriors were willing to spend about $30 million for this upcoming season in order to get fans in the stands by giving them a brand new testing that can give results in 15 minutes. And they were trying to fill up the stadium to about 50% capacity. They presented the idea to local officials, but unfortunately the idea was rejected. It was deemed too risky because a lot of people in the city of San Francisco are traveling, especially internationally. It was too much of a risk. So it's looking like the Warriors for this upcoming season are not going to be able to sell tickets on this brand new stadium. And it's looking like they will take that $600 million hit. So very unfortunate timing for the Warriors. Things that are happening on the court with injuries and then off the court financially is going to begin to impact this team in a negative way going forward, especially if their trajectory for revenues do not start going up. And just looking at something outside of the Warriors, the fact that that tech bubble within that San Francisco Bay Area is beginning to pop because a lot of the workers now that were getting paid the high salaries that could afford the expensive tickets are now working from home and they're moving on to different states, not only for safety measures because of the pandemic, but also the cost of living is a lot lower and now they can work from home because it's a well-known thing that people in that Bay Area, especially the tech people, they just go there, they work nonstop, they live very minimalistic because it's so expensive, even for the high salary tech workers. And then they eventually make enough money where they save it. And then they just move on to a different part of the country and start a family. So the timing for the Warriors couldn't be any worse because there's definitely a lot of high salary tech workers working from home and then making moves to go live in different states now. And just like that, that's how fast it can happen. The Warriors get viewed as an unstoppable empire one minute and then in a blink of an eye just like that the dynasty is over
Last but not least, I want to touch base on the hometown Supermax contracts, as this is the first offseason where we see guys that sign these deals are asking to be traded. We've seen John Wall, James Harden, Russell Westbrook all trying to make moves elsewhere, but the teams are kind of stuck in a hard place because the deals that these players are on was intended for them to stay with the original team that they were drafted from. And due to the fact that the dollar amount is so high, these contracts are basically unmovable. And this is what the owners wanted because they wanted leverage to keep guys in their original franchise, which in the cases of Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and John Wall, it's definitely worked. But these guys want to eat their cake and have it too. And we are seeing this offseason that this Supermax is a double-edged sword. If guys want to take the money, they sacrifice their flexibility. If guys want the flexibility, the same way LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard has it, they got to sacrifice that money. The only way I could see any of these guys getting traded is for each other. Not only to match their salaries, but to avoid the overvaluation. A lot of these teams are going to have their players at. Can you imagine if they trade James Harden? They're probably going to want six first round picks or who knows what the hell they'll ask for. But whatever it is, it'll be overvalued. It is what it is. I'm pretty sure when the collective bargaining agreement comes back around, the owners and the players will agree to a new Supermax deal or maybe even get rid of it in totality. Because judging by this offseason, it either leaves teams and players stuck together in a bad relationship, or if players get hurt on these contracts, it leaves franchises stuck for a number of years. Until next time, you guys stay safe. Peace.